Welcome to the Live Treasure Podcast, brought to you by Treasured Ministries, where every week we coach you with steps of faith you can take today to change your tomorrow. And now, on to today's show. Hey there. So I cannot believe that summer is wrapping up for many of you that are mama bears out there. I know that you're like, gosh, I mean, summer has definitely wrapped up for me. I'm knee deep in the beginning of school. But anywho and anyhow, today we're going to be wrapping up um, my last teaching on this series, what it means to forgive. And then the next two weeks, I'm going to be popping in um, a Rewind, an old podcast where I interviewed a professor at Meredith College who created an entire course on forgiveness, and then also Christian author Beth Vogt on uh, her experience with God's revelation to her on uh, forgiveness. And I think you're going to be very blessed Um, as we pull back those past two podcasts um, and just share with you further, deeper insight into God's amazing remedy of forgiveness. And um, I don't know about you, but what a huge like blessing this has been teaching this. Um, I've been extremely encouraged by all the feedback that you've given. Thank you so much for doing that. And I think for me, I I went into this because I knew the Lord was calling me to do it, but I did it with a little bit of fear because anytime God calls me to teach on forgiveness, guess guess what I get to walk through? (laughs) Being hurt. Um, But this time, you know, it was so awesome to just be so saturated in what the Word said about forgiveness, and then applying God's truth, His real truth. Because, you know, truth can get buried. It can get buried under our childhood experiences, trauma we face, um, religious rhetoric. We've talked about that. But really applying God's truth and then seeing the awesome freedom on the other side. And so while I certainly did walk through that. Maybe you walked through that this summer. Um, What a blessing to know that that God is with us, that He'll never leave us or forsake us, and that His truths are timeless. They're completely life-changing. So I pray that you have been blessed. Now, so today, we're going to be rounding out. We're going to be ending with my last teaching message um, on this. And so I'm going to be pulling in the audio from um, from our YouTube channel. And by the way, um, we have this great playlist on our YouTube channel uh, called Conquering Codependency, God's Way. And if that's something that you're interested in learning more about, I highly recommend that you subscribe to our YouTube channel. So today, um, we are going to be talking about um, how to move on when relationships are still messy. And you know what? You need to do that because your purpose matters. So let's go ahead and dive into today's teaching. But today we are going to end our series on what it means to forgive with a message on moving on despite the mess. And this is the word that I have for you today. Some of us are thinking that in order for us to move on with our lives, we cannot have mess inside of our relationships. And my word for you today is that it's time for you to move on. You know, moving on does not mean that we have to have perfect relationships inside of our life because that's not what forgiveness means. But oftentimes, and especially inside of codependency, where we are getting our worth and value 
out of a person where we are getting our worth and value out of being quote unquote good, if all of our relationships are not neat and tidy, if there's mess inside of our life, we feel messy, we feel shame. And so because of that, um, the enemy can use that and prevent us from moving on. And my word to you today is that, you know, when you stay chained to things that you cannot change, you can't change other people, how they're treating you, you cannot change uh, the regret inside of your past. But when you're holding on to it, you're really worshiping your past instead of God. And God has a remedy for that. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, how you can move on despite the mess inside of your relationships. You can walk through all of these 10 videos walk through processing the pain with God, walk through confronting your offender, walk through setting boundaries with your offender, and there might still be mess. But the mess does not mean that you are messy. And you know what? It's time for you to move on. And the reason is, is that you have a purpose that matters. And if you believe that you cannot move on Without every relationship being perfect inside of your life, the enemy will pin you down to your past. You know, one book that I absolutely love is this book uh, on uh, the missionary Elizabeth Elliot, and uh, I'm just a huge fan of hers um, in general. She has um, passed on to be with the Lord, but her teachings are still available out on YouTube. I listen to them all the time. And so when this book came out, Becoming Elizabeth Elliot, written by Ellen Vaughn, that was the um, authorized uh, biography um, of Elizabeth Elliot, I just snatched it up immediately and read it. And if you're familiar with Elizabeth Elliot, you know the story uh, that she was a missionary um, in South America, that her husband was actually killed by a tribe of Indians when he was coming to them to share the gospel, but that Elizabeth and her daughter actually went back and lived inside of that village with those Indians that, that murdered uh, her husband. And so in that, she was showing unbelievable courage and love and uh, of course, great forgiveness. And so we're all very familiar uh, with that story. But one aspect of her story that I wasn't familiar with, um, that, that I read inside of her book that I wanted to share with you, is that when she went back to live inside of that Indian tribe, she really did not have an issue getting along with the Indians. But there was another missionary there that she did have issue with, and, and her name uh, was Rachel. And so because of that, after trying very hard to, um, to reconcile the situation and to make things better, it was just um, uh, obvious that it was still going to be a mess. And so Elizabeth prayed about it, and she ended up leaving uh, that Indian tribe. That is when God called her out. But because that relationship was still messy, um, she, she wrestled with that a little bit. She, she writes um, here, they have record of letters that she wrote. And so this is what Elizabeth says when she wrote to her mother. I have lost weight, sleep, an appetite agonizing over whether or not I was doing the right thing, praying to be shown if I am in the wrong, if I am sinning against Rachel and blinded to my own faults in this thing. And I wonder, um, are any of you <laughs> losing weight, sleep, appetite, over agonizing, over a messy relationship? And you've feel like you've prayed and you've done everything right, but it still isn't neat and tidy. Listen to what Elizabeth Elliot writes to her mom. Once more, I have had to face the lesson that he, God, works in the most inscrutable ways, inscrutable meeting, just so hard to understand. 
How can we see God's hand in such a terrible thing as a lack of unity and understanding and tolerance between two fellow uh, missionaries? And maybe some of you just can't make sense over what's going wrong. Why inside of that family relationship, it's just not the way it's meant to be. Why inside of this marriage situation, it's just not the way uh, it's supposed to be. Um, She goes on uh, to to write this. um, And when I say she, I'm talking about um, Ellen Vaughn, who wrote uh, the, the biography God does work through hurt. God works in the midst of all things. And certainly Christian history is full of flawed characters and sad cases that might well have turned out differently if not for human failings. Sometimes we can point out to the outcomes of rifts and say, oh, look how God used it right at the beginnings of the missionary movement. Um, The Apostle Paul and his colleague Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company, each took a new partner, and the gospel continued to spread. Praise God, right? So sometimes we see why there was a mess inside of a situation, right? We can praise God, but sometimes we don't know. We don't know why. And the answer is not in you fixing that relationship. That is not the the pinnacle or the green light for you to move on. Listen closely. But sometimes we look at the outcomes in this life seeking the reassurance of a happy ending and it's just not there. How many of you are not moving on, are feeling shame, are confused as all get out because you've done everything you know you can do and there's no happy ending. Ellen writes on to say, what then? As Betty put it, his ways are inscrutable. So we have to rest, not in the peace of a pretty story. Oh, I don't know who needed to hear that today, but I'm going to say that again not in the peace of a pretty story. That's not going to give you peace. But in the reality of faith in a person we can't see. And in today's video, I'm going to be bringing to you a teaching from the Word of God about David. It's from one of our Treasure Tribe Bible studies. And I'm sharing this with you because David did not have a happy ending uh, in, in many of his relationships, but he also found the strength to move on because he was resting his faith in God. And when you do business with God, no matter what the mess inside of your life is, you too can find the strength to walk forward and become the woman that God has created you to be. Ready? Let's take a look. Well, I've got some bad news for you. There's a mess inside of the monarchy. And I'm not talking about the British monarchy. I'm talking about David's monarchy. The Psalms 61 and 63 were written when David was fleeing from Absalom. Absalom was his very own son who was leading a rebellion against his monarchy. The monarchy was in a mess. And I want to just bring you the background, the foundation uh, of what led up to this. Now, as you know, we've talked about this, that David was anointed to be king over all Israel. He had to deal with Saul, but eventually uh, he is not just anointed. He's actually seated on the throne uh, as king. And once he's seated on the throne of, as king, God not only makes him king, but he makes a covenant with him that establishes a royal monarchy dynasty 
forever with David's descendants. 2 Samuel 7, 29 says, your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time and your throne will be secure forever. Now, you and I know that this has been fulfilled with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. Luke 1, 32 and 33 says, He will be very great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Uh, but let's go back to uh, the time we are with, with David. And so what we see in Second Samuel is that David experiences lots of victory and that God expands his kingdom. And so, so he's on a high, really, inside of his monarchy. And at his high point, uh, he falls into sin. David sins against the Lord and that very famous familiar story where uh, he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then not only that but sent her husband Uriah to the front lines uh, in an effort to, to kill him and, and to take care of him basically. Uh, and so David sins against the Lord and uh, Nathan uh, comes to him and makes him realize, basically confronts him with the truth and David uh, mourns over his sin. He, he regrets it. He realizes it. And then Nathan prophesies to David uh, basically the results of what's going to happen because of the choices David made. Now, God forgave David um, and his kingdom because it was a covenant promise that would never end. But here's what Nathan says. And there were, there were many uh, consequences, but here's one that I want to highlight for you in 2 Samuel. 12 11. This is what the Lord says because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. And so this was fulfilled through David's own son, Absalom, who led a rebellion against David's throne in an effort to overthrow uh, this, this monarchy. And see, Absalom had a good reason. He was angry at his father and he wanted revenge because David's other son, Ammon, raped Absalom's sister, Tamar. And David did nothing. And so now Absalom responds in, in a plot and in a plan, and he kills Ammon. He, he incites this rebellion, and he inspires people to side with him over David. And so David has fled to the wilderness, which is where uh, we know that he has written Psalm 63, and most scholars believe that Psalm 61 was also written during that time. There was a mess in the monarchy, and it came from right inside David's own household. And this mess <laughs> was not uh, blameless from David. David made a mistake by not disciplining his son, and, and there's many reasons uh, why uh, different commentaries uh, think that David didn't do that. Some say perhaps it was that he was carrying more guilt over his sin for Bathsheba. And who was he um, to go against his son for raping Tamar when, when his own uh, sexual drive and lust uh, led him to sin? Uh, there were other people that believed that he was perhaps trying to protect uh, the monarchy uh, in some way, even though God had already promised it to him. But for whatever reason, David did not uh, take any action. And Absalom's sister, Tamar, was raped. And not only that, but done in such a way that it was disgraced her. And Absalom was mad. And so from David's mistake, it turned, it was like a domino effect. It turned into Absalom's anger and this rebellion led and David finds himself 
on the run again inside of the wilderness where there was a mess inside the monarchy. And it was because of the mistakes of many. And I want to ask you a question. Is there a mess <laughs> inside of your own family, inside of your own household? People that should be there for you haven't been. There's just a big old mess. And when this happens, when life gets messy like this, we can feel messy. <laughs> I think especially for women, we have this perception that if our family isn't perfect, if everybody in our family doesn't, you know, get along and love each other, if our mother-in-laws don't love us, if we all know that every family is, is fractured and that from those fractures that it can just become a big mess. And when life is a mess, especially when there's imperfections inside of our family, we can feel messy, right? And this results in shame. And the shame shuts our heart down from going to God confidently before the throne of grace to get the help that we need inside of our mess. Is there a mess going on in your own monarchy, in your own household, in your own extended family? And it's just a mess and you can't see the way out. And because of that, because of all the disruption inside of the relationships and you're holding yourself up to this expectation that everything has to be perfect inside of your family and so shame enters and the mess has made you feel messy. And because of that, perhaps it is that you're no longer confident before the throne or you're wondering, is God still with you? Is he for you? And I'll tell you what struck me to the core inside of Psalm 61 and Psalm 63 is that while there was a mess inside of the monarchy, David continued to pursue God and go boldly before the throne. Psalm 61 verse 1 says, Oh God, listen to my cry. Hear my prayer from the ends of earth. I cry to you for help when my heart is overwhelmed. Messes can make us feel overwhelmed. And at the time that we need to run to God the most, sometimes I find myself feeling messy and pulling away from God instead of pressing to him. You know, the enemy, <laughs> he loves it. He loves it when there's a mess in the monarchy, right? He loves it, you know, you are a daughter of the Most High God. He loves it when there is a mess in your monarchy and especially for a Christian woman, I believe that if our family situation wasn't perfect, we feel like that there's something wrong with us. And the enemy uses that mess in our life and he sends us a message, a lie, to change our thinking and to produce the emotion of shame because he knows that shame can shut down our hearts from going confidently before the Lord to get the help that we need. Here's some of the things uh, that the enemy has told me. Um, God must be really mad at you. You've got to fix this to get God's favor back on your side. There must be something really wrong with you. You're not a good Christian. You're a bad Christian. You're a complete failure and you should give up. God is not with you anymore. He's just not going to help you. You made your bed. You got to lie in it. That dream that God put in your heart is over. You don't deserve to move forward. Your purpose is over. You might as well just give up and be quiet. The enemy wants you to stay stuck and not moving forward. And he uses shame because shame will shut you down. For many years, I carried shame 
over an unhealthy relationship inside of my family. And initially, inside of uh, this relationship, which is in my extended family, um, I always knew that this person didn't approve of me. And so my reaction to that in my codependency years was to try to please and to try to gain that approval because that was how I tried to control people. That was how I tried to secure love. And a lot of times with people pleasers, you're please and please and please and please and please. And then one day the bubble bursts and you just get mad. (laughs) And that's what happened to me. And that's when my mistakes started coming because I started uh, carrying a lot of anger and even self-hate over the situation and not feeling good enough and feeling intense shame over the fact that this relationship didn't work out. I always pretended to everybody else like everything was okay, but it wasn't. I was wounded and I was hurting. And in my hurt, I made mistakes. But one day, (laughs) inside of my quiet time, God changed all that. And he changed all that by teaching me about my idolatry of codependency, about how it was necessary for me to set boundaries. And so part of that was positive. But do you know that the shame was still there because it wasn't a restored relationship? And so I carried that shame for years until one day in my quiet time, when I was reading in Genesis 28 about Jacob, you know the story when he's out in the wilderness and he's in the wilderness because he's in a mess. But anyway, so Jacob has fleed to the wilderness and he's fleed to the wilderness because he's essentially tricked his brother out of, um, out of his uh, father's blessing. Um, and that's really in a nutshell. Um, it's, it's a great story if you want to go back in Genesis and read it. But my point is, is that here was Jacob all alone in a mess. And he was, uh, his mother pushed him to do it, but he went along with it. And there's Isaac uh, loved Esau more. And so there was favoritism going on. And so it was all just a big mess. And everybody in the situation made mistakes, but it was in a mess. And there, so Jacob had fleed and there he was all alone without his family without anybody. And then God comes to him and speaks to him. And he reminds him of his covenant promises. And he promises Jacob that he will be with him. And Jacob wakes up and he says, surely the Lord was in this place. And there was a huge aha moment to me because Jacob had made a mess. (laughs) And everything was messy. And in fact, Jacob and Esau, later on in Genesis 35, they did have a meeting uh, where they made peace with one another. Um, but, but they never moved on together. Esau invited him to, but Jacob um, decided to separate and didn't go on with him. And all this time, even though Jacob had made mistakes, God did not leave him. God spoke to him there, and God will speak to you. And he gave Jacob the steps that he needed to take to move forward. And on that day, in that moment, I forgave myself. (laughs) And somehow, some way, that shame was lifted off me because I was able to receive God's forgiveness for the mess because I stopped trying to fix myself or fix the situation. And I just said, Lord, it's a mess. And I know I made mistakes and I was very hurt. It's a mess, but I know it's time to move on. And that's the power of God. What is your story? And what mess are you carrying? And how heavy is it? And what message has it sent into your heart? Well, I'm telling you what, 
Today is the day where you and I are going to send that mess away. Receiving God's forgiveness is His remedy to remove shame so you can run to God and release the mess and find the Holy Spirit's help to move forward. Um, and, and we see that. What we see inside of this passage, um, and the more that I read, too, about the history behind it and what was going on, I was surprised, quite frankly, that David was praying that boldly because, you know, when, when I've blown it, um, that can ruin my quiet time, uh, quite frankly. I'll feel so remorseful and so heavy that it's difficult for me to just dive in with my whole heart. Uh, but we see David doing that. We see David coming before the Lord, praying big, bold prayers. And if David is able to do that, how much more should we? We're going to look at these passages, um, and I'm going to show you how you can receive God's forgiveness and put the messages of the mess inside your own monarchy behind you because it's time, Treasure Tribe, to move on. The first thing that I want you to see is that I believe uh, very much so. Now, the Bible does not say this. I want to be clear about that, but I'm going to show you why I think this. I believe that inside of these uh, passages, David was very much uh, pointing to, whether symbolically or, or referring to it, the Day of Atonement. There's a big part of me, even though David doesn't say it, that believes that he was just declaring his own day of atonement. And what I mean by that, I want to be so careful because it doesn't say it specifically, but what I mean by that is that David was doing business with God. And sometimes, see, you and I, we've got to stop trying to do business with all the people that are making the mess. We've got to stop trying to analyze our life and figure out what we can fix. And we just got to do business with God. And that's a blessing because nobody else is involved. Uh, do you know what? I, it's not um, dependent on anybody else. You go inside of the presence of God and do some business, all right? So, so my first point is that I believe, and I'm saying that I believe this, that David was referencing the Day of Atonement. Now, Psalm 61.4 says, Let me live forever in your sanctuary, safe beneath the shelter of your your wings. Psalm 63, 7 says, because you are my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I mean, just how crazy is that? Because when my life is messy and then it makes me feel a mess, I am not singing with joy, right? That's. But anyway, David was singing with joy. And so we know that he was going boldly before the Lord's presence. All right, so that scripture, I'm going to read Psalm 61, 4 again. Let me live forever in your sanctuary safe beneath the shelter of your wings. I want to read to you this quote from uh, Williams Worsbury's commentary. Um, it says, frequently in scripture, you find the image of finding safety under his wings. Sometimes this refers to the mother bird protecting her young, but it can also refer to being under the wings of the cherubim in the holies of holies. Now, let me read this scripture to you from Exodus 25, 17 through 20. And remember that imagery under the wings. It says this, and this is um, when God is telling his people how to make uh, the ark's cover, which uh, would go over the ark of the covenant. Then make the ark's cover, the place of atonement from pure gold. It must be 45 inches long, 27 inches wide. Then make two cherubim from hammered gold and place them on two ends of the atonement cover. Mold the cherubim on each end of the atonement cover, making it all one piece of gold. The cherubim will face each other and look down on the atonement cover with their wings spread over it. They will protect it. Do you see that imagery there on the covering of the ark? Now, the ark was placed in an area in 
a room, if you will, inside of the tabernacle called the holiest of holies. Okay, and uh, the the the, ho- the holiest of holies was only entered to one time a year on the day of atonement by one person, just the high priest uh, who was making atonement in the holiest of holies for the people. Now, um, now, uh, part of the the tabernacle and how God laid all that out. Um, and, and how it was that it was it was only the great priest who could go in. Uh, what is being communicated there is basically that sin hinders access uh, to the presence of God, but that because uh, the people could not carry the burden, right? God does not want you to carry the burden um, of of your mistakes. Uh, that that this is how atonement was made. The book of Hebrews explains how the Day of Atonement is a pattern of the atoning work of Christ to cleanse our conscience from dead works. Hebrews 9, 11, and 12 says, So Christ has now become the great high priest over all good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made of human hands and is not a part of the created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once and for all time and secured our redemption forever. In fact, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, The curtain in the temple was torn in two. Now, (laughs) you don't have to be a great high priest. You and I have the privilege of going boldly before the throne. And back in Old Testament times, they would actually attach a bell uh, to the bottom of the robe of the priest because he had to do everything right to enter into that most holiest of holies on that day of atonement. And they put the bell on him because if he made a mistake, he would be struck dead. You and I, praise be to God, have access. No more does sin separate us. From God. In fact, Hebrews 4, 14 and 16, talking more about that great high priest, says this. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us firmly hold to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness. He faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our most gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. (laughs) Are you in a mess or has life just gotten so messy and you're worn out and weary because you've tried to fix it. And you're worn out and weary because it's everything is just a mess. Could it perhaps be that you need to declare a day of atonement and do business with God and go boldly before the throne? You know, I believe that David pictured himself going boldly before the throne. And I think... It's very powerful when you and I pray to picture ourselves going into that most holy of holies with reverence and honor and awe, but also with authenticity because Jesus understands. He understands. And he's ready. He's your advocate. He's ready to give you mercy and to give you help. Can you see why the enemy doesn't want you to press into the presence of God? In Psalm 63, David says this, 
I will praise you as long as I live, lifting my hands up to you in prayer. When I think about lifting my hands up, I think about worship and praise, but I also think about a posture of surrender. And I also think if my hands are lifted, then I can no longer uh, uh, protect myself. And and part of that um, is, is confession. In other words, part of the pattern of receiving God's forgiveness is that we own our part. I had to own my bitterness and ask God for help because I was so hurt. And it wasn't until I owned it (laughs) that I invited the Holy Spirit in to help me do what I couldn't do, and that's changing my heart. And so we lift our mess up to the Lord, right? And we stop protecting ourselves, and, and I, we stop pretending. We stop bringing God our good works and we just lift up our mess. Lord, forgive me. And the lifting, the lifting is also ignites that sense of praise because you're releasing the shame. When you do, you own it. You confess it. You stop pretending. And the other thing is, is that you've got to forgive yourself. You've got to forgive yourself and you've got to forgive others. Now, forgiveness does not mean that what the person did is right. It doesn't mean that you're not going to set boundaries. No way. But forgiveness does mean releasing the offender. In other words, it means you're not going to be like Absalom and continue the pattern by biting back at the person. And part of this lifting up, it, it, it also uh, has a, an imagery of offering. And inside of the, of the um, Day of Atonement, there was something called the scapegoat. And the priest would lay the sins of the people on the scapegoat. And then the scapegoat will be driven away. And sometimes I think a visual reminder of that, a visual picture of that, uh, writing things down and ripping them up, writing a letter to your offender and then ripping it up, right, can be powerful. You must forgive yourself (laughs) for the mess, for your part of it. Because sometimes there's a time to mourn over mess, and then there's a time to move on. Lord, The next thing that we see David doing uh, is petitioning the Lord with bold prayer based on God's promises. Something that's beautiful about the Ark of the Covenant is that Jesus Christ, Hebrews tells us, our great high priest, lives to intercede for us. But God also invites us to pray according to his word. Now, if David had prayed based off of what he had done, those prayers would have been puny. If David had prayed maybe based off of how he felt, Maybe his prayers would have been puny, but in Psalm 61, starting in verse 6, he says, Add many years to the life of the king. May his years span the generations. May he reign under God's protection forever. May your unfailing love and faithfulness watch over him. Then I will sing praises to your name forever as I fulfill my vows to you each day. Do you see how he was claiming those promises in 2 Samuel that had been given to him about God's covenant with him? And sometimes you and I need to go back to the word of God. Romans 8, 1, there is no more condemnation in Christ. Lord, protect my thinking from the enemy. He who began a good work and you will complete it, Lord, continue to sanctify me. My God will supply all my needs according to his glory in Christ Jesus. You and I have to begin to start praying, not based off of our feelings, but off of God's promises that he secured for us through his covenant.
And then the next thing is that um, we listen to and move to the promptings of the Holy Spirit for that place of true repentance. Now, if we're not careful, we can think that repentance is like uh, doing a certain uh, action necessarily. And really, anything that's not prompted by the Holy Spirit uh, is, is a dead work. And what I mean by that is when you sincerely come to God and confess before Him, this is a mess, and here's the mistakes that I made, and then you pray, God, what are my next steps of faith to take? How, how do I turn? And then you pray, and then you get a word from God, and then you be obedient to do it. So you petition the Lord, then you listen, and you move to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Because here's the thing. The good news about the new covenant is not only do you and I have access to go before the throne, that we can get God's help. And God's help comes. His grace-based help comes in changing our hearts, not just in changing behavior. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. A change of heart, the Bible says, produced by God's Spirit. And when we confess, it's like we're saying, Lord, I give you my mess and I give up. That place where God has asked me to be humble, I'm telling you what, I have been tempted to pick up that pride and I'll get in my quiet time and then God reminds me. So what I'm saying is, is that we have an ever-present help in times of trouble. The enemy wants to keep you away from that help, but you can go boldly before the throne and get the help of the Holy Spirit instead of trying to fix everything yourself. And the next part about the Day of Atonement um, is that there's a fast. And the reason why there's fasting is to focus the mind and to feast on what matters most. And in Psalm 63, David says this, Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. Verse 5 says this, You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. Now, I don't know. David doesn't say. But I wonder if perhaps he was fasting. And in that fasting, he was feasting on the things that mattered most, feeding his spiritual appetite. And when you and I, when there's a mess, <laughs> you know, the Bible says some things only come out by prayer and fasting. See, fasting always leads to greater freedom because it breaks a dependency on something or someone that we're using to feed uh, either a physical appetite or an emotional appetite. You know, when we went through COVID, um, I uh, was also walking through, or um, when we started walking through COVID, um, the Lord laid upon really my husband's heart. He told me, that I needed to take a rest from Treasured Ministries for two months if I wanted to continue. Um, and I had just been through a very hard season. And um, and that was a big, big um, step of faith for me to fast from work because work, <laughs> right, is, is what um, uh, where I got identity, where it brought me life. And see, David says, your unfailing love is better than life itself. Um, and so, so when we fast from those things, and not only was there a rest that I took, but there was COVID in place, and that actually worked on my behalf because it just sort of slowed life down, and I would never wish uh, COVID to happen again, but I'm saying that a benefit of stopping was a greater focus, and I can't begin to tell you the healing that happened Fasting, and, and here's, here's what I read uh, in, in one uh, commentary. Fasting in Jewish tradition is a religious discipline involving the abstination from food, drink, physical pleasure for the purpose of enhancing the spiritual experience in the atonement uh, of sin. Sometimes fasting 
helps to focus the mind and to feast on what matters most. You know, uh, this week, a woman in our Treasure Tribe group was talking about how when we focus um, on the eternal, on heaven, it makes all the mess, right, just seem insignificant, and it's so true. And here was David. The monarchy was in trouble. His own son after him, and he said, your unfailing love is better than life itself. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. Sometimes you and I need to do business with God and declare our own day of atonement, going before the throne boldly to get the help we need when life is messy, is resting under God's cover of grace. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Receiving God's forgiveness is his remedy to remove shame so you can run to God, release the mess, and find the Holy Spirit's help to move forward. When you live in regret, you are worshiping your past instead of the Lord. Worshiping your past has no power to fix your future and attaches hopelessness to your heart. (laughs) Are you punishing yourself? You need to stop listening to the lies. That burden over the mess in your life that you had carried all of these years is not a burden that God has asked you to carry. It's time for you to let go and move forward because you, like David, have a purpose and your purpose matters. Don't let one more day go by where the enemy is pulling you back in your past. It's time to press forward and become the woman that God has created you to be. One beautiful, bold, brave step of faith at a time. (music) 